When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Following the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from the Great White North and his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard. And welcome once again to another episode of Strange Planet. Thanks for sticking me in your ear. We're going to reach out to Warsaw, Poland today and uh, speak with a, um, a technical translator, a freelance journalist who has written for the Korean Times, the Taiwan News, the Kiev Post. He's also uh, the author of a sci-fi horror thriller called euthanizers and we'll uh, find out about that but we're going to talk about uh, paranormal poland and other matters adam borofsky welcome back how are you hey richard thanks for having me again i'm great so um first of all you know it is kind of the christmas season uh how do you celebrate christmas in in poland uh, do you have any special uh traditions Oh, yes, we have uh, a very, very special tradition. It's called Vigilia, which is from uh, Vigil, right? right? It's on the 24th of December when you wait for the first star and you have 12 dishes prepared. Of course, it doesn't have to be 12. And there is a tradition that you wait for a stranger. And if a stranger comes knocking on your door, uh, you are to let them in. Of course, it doesn't really happen, but that's the idea. And we have this special kind of like in church, this wafer, you know, like you, you know, that's uh, in religious practices that you basically use to um, wish each other, um, you know, some whatever you want to wish another person, right? Um, some kind of well wishes, basically. And for example, in the US, uh, I always compare it to Thanksgiving because it's kind of, in a way, it's similar. Ah. You have the turkey, right? But in Poland, it's the carp. <laughs> right so uh, this is a very very important aspect of this celebration and yeah i think that if uh, american uh listeners want to imagine what it's like it's kind of like thanksgiving except there is the carp and it's very you know family oriented and the idea is that you wait for this first star because that's when you know this um that's the moment when you start basically and uh, of course it's like the star um, of bethlehem Yes, that's right. right. And so that's the first point. That's 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 was very very important to uh, to Polish people in general. 
Okay. I'd say, yeah, that's that's how we celebrate it. And um, yeah, so it's on the 24th in our tradition. The 25th and 26th, we don't really celebrate that much, but the 24th is Vigilia, as we say in Polish, right? right? You exchange gifts? Oh, yes, uh, absolutely. But that's tricky, of course. So some people do this, you know, we have the Christmas tree, which is, I think, actually a German or Austrian tradition. German, um, yes. England, yes. Yes, and uh, so we, we wait until, you know, the uh, Vigilia is over and then we exchange gifts. And of course, it's polite to open it in front of people because, you know, some cultures prefer when you don't do that. We definitely prefer if you do this, if you open. And uh, of course, you are expected, even if you don't like it, you're expected to say, well, it's great. You know, you know it's uh, without <laughs> yes, a good yes. front. That's the tradition everywhere, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so there. So, I'm preparing for this kind of, you know, in my mind mentally because it's close. And um, yeah, I wanted to ask you about a uh, a UFO uh, investigator who actually, uh, well, he was he was British, but he passed away under rather mysterious circumstances uh, in Warsaw, in in Poland, where you are. Max Spears. Uh, I guess it's been over six years now. He, uh, this caused a lot of, uh, of controversy. He, um, he was visiting a friend there, and uh, I know the BBC did a kind of a multi-part uh, documentary series on his death. Uh, his mother said she was concerned about him because, um, well, she was concerned about his mental health uh, prior to his death, and she believed he got involved uh, with the wrong crowd. Uh, other people, I guess, people that followed Max Spears' UFO work, uh, thought that somehow he was being uh, controlled by extraterrestrial life. Uh, what 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 can you tell us about what happened to Max Spears in Warsaw? Yeah, um, he died uh, actually not in Warsaw, but close to Warsaw. It's pretty close to in the area where I am. I am in Warsaw, and he died in the city next to Warsaw, basically, right? In Yuzefov, the city is called Yuzefov. And uh, so this area here, and it's a really nice area, by the way. So I'm not surprised he would uh, come here. And this story is really uh, profoundly perplexing because apparently he felt unwell, right? And he started uh, throwing up and this kind of black liquid uh, came out of his mouth. So of course, there are many theories as to what happened there. Uh, his mother, as you said, she is suspicious of the official version. And I got a call from the BBC uh, from a BBC journalist, and she asked me if I would be interested in commenting on this, uh, well, on this story, right? So I said, absolutely. And uh, she was kind enough to uh, drive here to my house where I had a two, three minutes of uh, um, answering questions. She asked me about the super soldier aspect, whether I thought that Max Spears was a super, super soldier. Well, tell us I a little said, bit about that theory, about because he believed, I mean, he had, yes. he claimed to have had out-of-body experiences and he, and he used a lot of those sort of to justify some of his conspiracy theories, let's say. But uh, tell me about his uh, belief that he was a super soldier. Yeah, so he believed that he had special powers, basically, uh, from birth, that he was engineered. And that uh, the question here, which I could go back by the journalist, by the British journalist, whether he could demonstrate the powers. And I said, well, I wasn't there, so I can't verify whether he really was that kind of super soldier that as he claimed. 
because um, what I found strange was that he never actually demonstrated any kind of powers like that. So that was the main point. But yeah, but the idea is that people are engineered either from birth or at some point in their lives, they are abducted or by my labs, military abductions or by aliens. And they are engineered for whatever reason, usually uh, to perform some kind of uh, espionage or similar things of that nature so that's the idea behind super soldiers and personally i find the idea fascinating but i don't understand why it's so hard for the alleged super soldiers right to demonstrate their powers so that's what i said in the interview which of course wasn't very some groups weren't very happy about it understandably but you know that's that's what i thought because i was speaking not just as myself i was representing the general polish community of conspiracy researchers so i had to keep it you know balanced Right, of course. I mean, but what what do you think? Uh, I, I mean, I know you didn't see any concrete evidence, but what do you think of of his claims? Uh, and what do you think of the claims by some of his devotees, if you will, that Max Spears was being controlled by extraterrestrial life? Well, I would ask what kind of control, right? Because uh, there are various theories with that mind that the thoughts were inserted into his mind. And what I find interesting is that he was supposedly working on some QAnon related stuff. I mean, of course, it wasn't called QAnon back then, but in terms of Satanism, in terms of pedophilia, he was supposed to reveal something uh, here in Warsaw, apparently, at a conference. So, um, and he sent a message to his mother that if something happens to him, please investigate. That was paraphrasing, right? That was the message. So um, yeah, I can see why this would be suspicious. And um, what I would like to know is what kind of uh, materials he was getting ready to present. Where, where are the materials, right? What was going on to be, what was he going to be talking about? Because he also talked about soul traps, which is an interesting topic to me personally, which of course the idea is that a person gets trapped, you know, after death and recycled, right? So this white light is a trap and um, it erases our memories and we go back here to earth, which is a topic of particular interest to me. So- um, Reincarnation, um, basically. Yes, basically reincarnation. Yes, that's the basic idea. So he definitely covered a wide spectrum of topics. There is no doubt. And it's perplexing, it's um, confounding why, uh, you know, he died here. Why, why did he die here in Poland and Warsaw? I mean, near Warsaw. And uh, on the eve of releasing, on the eve of yes, going to release information about pedophilia and child sex. Exactly. And so that's forth. that's that's really really disconcerting. And um, there is no doubt, Richard. There is no doubt that pedophilia exists, and unfortunately, uh, there is a lot of that in the world. And um, I would definitely like to know, you know, what, what, what was he going to be talking about? But, well, what we do know is that the, um, we don't really know what happened in terms of, uh, you know, no one can verify what happened on the spot when he was at this house with his friend and he started vomiting, basically this black um, fluid, whatever that was. Uh, apparently, uh, if I remember correctly, the prosecutors said that or concluded that it was uh, pneumonia uh, that killed him. So, right. and you know. I, I believe also they said he had a, he overdosed on um, 
uh, Xanax, which yeah. is uh, used for depression. Yeah, because he had uh, panic attacks. Yeah, definitely. Right. So, um, and interestingly enough, he was staying with a sci-fi writer. So, yeah, that's an interesting uh, tidbit as well. Right. And uh, the British journalist, if I just may add here, they wanted to speak to that the woman, but she, of course, did not want to, uh, you know, Oh, his roommate, the sci-fi writer. Right. She didn't yeah. want to weigh in on that. Right? His friend, not roommate, but his friend. You know, okay. The other uh, ang interesting angle that I guess conspiracy theorists have latched on to is that uh, it took something like six days to transport his body back from Poland to uh, England. And uh, his mother was, I don't know if she was prevented from seeing the body, but she was strongly urged not to see, look at the body because of... I guess it's state of deterioration. Uh, so then that again just adds to the mystery. You know, you know, why was she discouraged from seeing the body? Is it really true that I would imagine, you know, he would have been placed in refrigeration. You know, typically bodies are preserved in a proper manner. However, in this case, she was said, she was told, don't look at the body. So that adds another layer. Um, I want to ask you about where you are right now. And you're in a rather large house in, in Warsaw. And uh, you have, we've known each other for a few years and you've, we've communicated um, by email primarily and you've from time to time updated me on mm -hmm. uh, some of the strange things happening in, in the house, uh, particularly I think in the room you are now. Uh, what, what goes on in your house in Warsaw? Right. Well, Richard, uh, my house, yes, my house is pretty big. It's divided into two parts. The older part is pre-World War II, 1938. And interestingly enough, there was a swastika on the roof uh, during the war because the Germans were in that part of the house, apparently, because there was electricity there. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, and the second part is kind of from 1970s. And there is this, uh, there's the door that separates the two parts. And what happened after the interview with uh, the BBC crew? Oh, about, uh, about uh, Max Spears. Yes, because it's connected. Uh, that's basically, uh, well, after some time when I started hearing strange knocks and noises in the house, which was, uh, I thought, you know, the plumbing maybe or some of the pipes, but no, no, this, this is not the case. Everything was in order. So that was the first time I started hearing these strange sounds. And there was no way that this was caused by something um, rational i'd say because you know i checked everything and there was just no way the pipes are okay that we're okay and everything else was in order so the knocks uh the source of which uh, i have no idea where it came from but it was usually in patterns of three so three loud knocks right it was really interesting because they usually happened when because you know i lock one part of the house right and they usually happened in this part of the house that was locked which is the modern part, the more modern part from the 1970s. And the part where I usually stay in, which is the older part, uh, there was nothing there, but I could definitely hear something happening in the other part of the house, but there was nothing was stolen. There was, you know, nothing was nothing, nothing of that sort. And besides I have uh, security. So if something was, you know, someone was walking there, I would have been alerted to that. So there was a definitely a strange correlation here, you know, first this interview, and then after some time, this uh, knocking. I mean, what's going on, right? So right. that was uh, that was really... trying to communicate with you from the beyond. Perhaps. <laughs> what, how did when you say knocks, like someone was knocking on the wall, on the door, on the floor? 
with or actually more like pounding like bangs right not even knocks like really like you know uh like you would be hitting a wall really right like really hard right like i'm here basically right like this 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 pounding on the wall so not just like not like this right. but really really you know some more like pounding banging basically and in threes and um this was a definite pattern right and i actually wanted to record it at some point but of course um i guess uh it didn't want to be recorded because i have this um theory or i'm actually some my theory i first heard it when i was uh watching a documentary about the skinwalker ranch of precognitive intelligence if i uh, can talk about it just for a moment here uh basically the idea is that this force right this unexplainable force knows what we want to do like a chess game so when you want to record it it knows that you want to do it and it's not going to let you record it right Right. Uh, so it's it's called precognitive intelligence, and apparently the first time they recorded that they noticed this phenomenon was in Skinwalker Ranch when they wanted to record, you know, use cameras to record various phenomena, and it turns out they couldn't do it. Uh, so that's you know when I when I thought about the knocks and how it didn't want me to record it for some reason, that's what I thought about. Right, this is the uh, some kind of intelligent force that's kind of playing around. That would that was my impression. Uh, I want to ask you about, um, there's a, some, a, a forest near where, where you are right now. And, and um, yeah. you, um, you, have, you, you tell the story of going for a run. Yeah, I, that, that was uh, something. After... Let me just, uh, just kind of set it up here for people. This has to do with, I don't know if we call this a time shift or experiencing an alternative reality, but it just happened like in a flash of light. Tell us what happened as you went through a run in the woods. Right. Well, first of all, I completed my internship at the Ministry of Foreign Affairs here in Poland, where I translated things. And then I kind of, at, at a certain point, I got into this inner rage, you know, I just, at the state of the world. I mean, at that point, to be the, I didn't really believe in the paranormal. I was kind of like, yeah, it's an interesting story, but I wasn't really into it. But I knew about this forest, the Demiurge, right? The supposed trickster, as I call him or it, a cosmic gaslighter that tricks people or punishes people or does all these uh, strange things. Well, so some I people was call him the, some people would refer to him as Satan. Or Satan, yeah. But but I kind of there is a kind of difference to me. But anyway, I was uh, running in this forest, pretty pretty close to where I am because it kind of you know uh, unwinds when I. I basically when you do it it makes you feel better so i i keep running running and i in my mind i keep um uh, hurling abuse so to speak of this demiurge like i say you're fake you're a joke there is nothing you know you, you you're just you know basically all the other kind of stuff and at some point at some point richard i just saw this flash like like uh, this white flash and i was i can't even put it into words i mean it just, just happened right and i was in this elevator and i knew instinctively i knew i was in an alternate reality soul right the capital of south korea and there was this rectangular mirror in front of me and i saw myself i knew it wasn't some kind of consciousness transfer or some kind of like like this kind of stuff i knew it was more like a kafka-esque metamorphosis that i kind of got changed somehow and i was standing there as this korean woman korean american 
because I didn't speak Korean, but I definitely I knew I knew I was Korean American. I just okay. had this. Let me stop you there. Just, let me just uh, see if we understand this. So you're running through the woods. You're cursing yes. the cosmic gaslighter, as you call him, or yeah, it. in my mind, I, I'm, I'm absolutely. I go. I I run just you know unwind, and I in my right. mind, I I kind of taunt him, curse, you know, kind of right. like this, and and then all of a sudden there's a flash as as you're running. I'd, flash. Yeah, I I don't I don't hear it. I don't hear it. It's not like lightning or anything. I don't hear it, you know, because there are pine trees around me, mostly right. pine trees. And I don't hear it. It just happens. And then all and, of a sudden you're uh, transported and you're in an elevator and you intuitively, you understand that you're in Seoul, Korea, where you've, you've worked. Alternate, and, alter, alternate, yes, alternate Seoul. And I knew I was turned into this Korean American woman because I saw myself in this mirror in front of me, like in, the, in an elevator, right? The doors, it was this mirror. And there was a woman next to me, to my right, and she spoke uh, flawless uh, American English. And she asked me about some board meeting, the board meeting. I said, and I was like, okay, let, let's go. I just, I didn't know why I said that, right? Okay, let's go. And I had this voice that was definitely not my voice like now, right? There was definitely an American accent, but it was a female voice, like corresponding with, uh, you know, how I was, to how I was looking, right? And, um, I had no idea what was going on. I just kind of said it. And then several seconds later, right, this woman was looking at me just normally. Again, flash, and I was back in the forest. Back in the forest. And I was just like, you know, what the hell happened? I just, I couldn't process that. I'm just you standing stopped, there. You must have stopped running at this point. And just, yeah, of course I did. Yeah, of course I did. What was going I through started, your mind? Did you think that I just have a stroke? Did I just pass out? What did you think happened? I had no idea, Richard. I had no idea. This was like so many stimuli at the same time that I was just standing there and I was like, what's going on? I mean, I just had some really profound experience that was that really shook my, you know, my this whole disbelief in the paranormal. And I had this idea in my mind don't know where it came from that this was the demiurge or however you want to call this force the cosmic was, lighter yeah. yes yeah that basically wanted to taunt me because i was taunting it in my mind so it taunted me back so to speak taught me humility by showing me okay you're so clever here's what this is right so that's how i saw it and then some years later i saw this olympian this korean or olympian right the photograph and i said to myself wait a second that's exactly you know that's exactly the same appearance. And I was like, this is probably the demiurge, this force showing me this. And I was like, I couldn't believe it myself. I just, the, the synchronicity, well, it just popped into my mind. When I saw that, I knew that was definitely connected. And that was the demiurge or this cosmic gaslighter playing games with me, showing me, you know, okay, you're so clever, here it is. In other words, this Korean Olympian that you saw, was she Korean American, do we know? Yes, she is uh, Korean American, definitely. Um, I, I don't want to mention her name. I don't, no. I don't know if uh, I, I don't want to do that. But yes, she is definitely Korean American. So, uh, so the cosmic gaslighter took your consciousness and for a few fleeting moments inserted your consciousness inside the body of took this. my consciousness or maybe somehow transported me i'm not sure exactly i felt like it wasn't really a consciousness transfer i felt like some kind of kafka-esque metamorphosis took place right, right? right. which is theoretically i mean it, it's a ghost against all laws of physics that we know that's why it's paranormal because you know you can't explain it but the way i see it is because i was taunting this entity so much 
in my mind, then this entity responded, you know, okay, you're so clever. I'm going to teach you a lesson. That's how I see it, right? Because right. Um, this, the way I see this, the, the, the cosmic gaslighter, what it does, it tells you, it, it takes you to some really, to experience something completely out of your um, normal element, right? Something that you would normally experience. And it does it because A, it wants to taunt you, it wants to punish you, it wants to teach you a lesson. So it's kind of not exactly like Satan. That's why I kind of differentiate between Satan and you know this, this kind of entity. And I, I found it fascinating ever since, right? That's why I started writing my novel. That's why I started uh, investigating or getting into this, uh, uh, delving into alternate realities, right? Because there was just no explanation and um, it just happened. And this kind of experience, this kind of profound experience, it never repeated itself. So the way I- You stopped it, cursing the gas, the uh, cosmic gaslighter? Oh yeah, def definitely. I stopped cursing the cosmic gaslighter because the way I, I felt it, like, of course there were no words, but the way I felt it was that this was like a message, right? Okay, so this is for you. Don't do it again. <laughs> Got it. Basically. Okay, we're going to take a time out, Adam. We'll come back and uh, discuss uh, more of uh, Poland Paranormal. Adam Borowski, freelance journalist. Stay with us. It's time to redefine reality. This is Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. And we are back with Adam Borofsky, freelance journalist, technical translator, and his, uh, we'll tell you a little bit later how you can access the sci-fi horror thriller he's written called Euthanizers. And um, this uh, next story is uh, has to do with a friend of yours, and um, it involves a chandelier and something... Well, we have a name for it uh, in the West called, it's called the Old Hag Syndrome, but you have a, a different name for it in Poland. What is it? Uh, in Polish, you would call it Strzyga, which I know it's a very hard, hard to pronounce for foreigners, but in Polish, we call it Strzyga. It's the same thing. It's basically usually an old woman that, uh, a demon of sorts, that comes to you and sits on your chest and it terrorizes you, right? Sometimes you see it, sometimes you don't see it. And it's definitely present in Slavic folklore. And um, we call it Shiga, that's that's the name. So the old hag, it's basically the same thing, right? Because old, of course, hag, hag is an old woman, right? That doesn't really look very, not very pretty. So um, in this case, it's the same thing. And of course, it's uh, connected with the Polish and probably with Russian uh, folklore, which was, which are, you know, many times our um, stories and myths and legends are similar. So I wouldn't be surprised if it's originally from Russia. But the idea was... Uh, or the idea what would happen here with with this uh, old hag um i have a friend who lives in southern poland in, in the city there in the town there um and she is uh, mostly you know she, she lives there most of the time she doesn't really travel that much and at one point she told me about this um that there was the she has the chandelier right that that she is in her apartment and she said it started kind of shaking it was kind of when she was going to sleep and she felt this force, right? This pressure on her chest. And at that point she screamed and she said, you know, 
f off basically um she see of course she used the polish uh <laughs> word but uh, i can say in polish uh, but but i don't think it, it matters right basically we, in polish we are really creative with uh curse words by the way okay i re recommend it a lot uh, yeah <laughs> yeah so uh basically and there was uh, her son was in the apartment as well and her son is definitely not uh some kind of you know woo-woo person so to speak and uh he confirmed that yeah that there's definitely uh that she screamed uh that something was attacking her and she's she is confident she is absolutely convinced that, that was the kind of this old hag came to her and the first it manifested itself as this you know the chandelier started moving around or shaking and then um it was sitting uh on her chest and she felt this pressure and she basically she felt this need she felt this um instinctive uh a need to uh, scream and say, you know, um, get off me. I mean, she, she used very uh, harsh language, but of course, uh, I don't want to do that here. Uh, but basically, the, the message was get off me. And apparently, this force, there was some hissing and this force um, left left her. And um, so that was a, you know, because I know her so well. So I know it's, um, I know she's not, she doesn't make stuff up. Okay. She said it, that it was happen. hissing at her. It was hissing. Yes, it was hissing like some kind of like it was um, annoyed or disappointed or angry that you know that this, that my friend didn't want to be um, in the presence in, in this of right. this. Did it leave any marks on her? Did it scratch her or leave any bruises? Yes, uh, very small marks, uh, kind of like a uh, hand would leave, like a, like a very small claws, but very very small marks, right? Nothing nothing major that you know you could uh, not like some alien abductees, you know, are left with major marks sometimes. No, just uh, small marks uh, that that claws would make, really, but really small claws, like a hand, I guess, or something similar, right? A similar animal that would. Would, right, you know, right. against your chest. So, yeah, but she was definitely telling the truth. And the way she was explaining it, the way she was talking about it, she was shaking, basically. So you could see, the, feel the emotions. So um, that was really interesting to me. And uh, I even thought about recording maybe EVPs. And next time I go there, I might do that. You know, I think it's a great idea to record it and to see what happens. Is it, because, it only happened the one time? Yes. And apparently she was... Uh, pretty emotionally shaken at that time, which could explain why this uh, manifested itself. Because uh, as far as I know, these entities, uh, Shiga, old hags, they react to it. So they sense it, right? They were like predatory beings and they mm -hmm. sense it. So they might they might have been attracted to her and, um, and maybe wanted to harvest that energy. That's possible. Um, Yes, yeah, so this is definitely something I want to get, uh, you know, I might uh, record an EVP there or something similar, of course, if she lets me. But again, she is very down to earth at the same time. She's open to various possibilities, to various, you know, phenomena, but she's very down to earth. She, when, you, when, right. when, you, when she tells me that, when she told me that, I, I knew there was something to it and it would have to be potentially investigated, yeah. Well, you belong to a, um, a paranormal investigation group in Poland. Is it on the edge of the unknown? Uh, yeah, it's on the edge of the unknown, and uh, as the name tells, you know, everyone, it's uh, basically uh, the idea is that people write uh, to us and uh, we, you know, uh, verify their reports. That's the idea, right? It doesn't happen that much uh, at this point, but 
it happened more in the past because now everyone has their own life and we just right. don't have time for it. But there is a def we definitely had uh, interesting uh, reports. Some some you know because uh, what you need to do, Richard, of course, as you know, sometimes people write who have various mental problems and so on. So you need to make sure that when you go somewhere in the field, so to speak, you need to make sure that uh, you're not wasting your time. So we developed a pretty good uh, strategy how to do that. And there were some good stories and some good uh, interviews we had. And yeah, very interesting um, turns of events, so to speak. We can okay. talk about that. If you, if yeah, you let's, let's talk about one of the investigations you did that involved a, a, um, a hospital. Uh, I, I guess the, the patients were mainly Jewish uh, who had mental health issues. Yeah, so I'd like to explain the history first, right? So there is a hospital here, there was at this point, here near Warsaw. First, your listeners need to understand the area near Warsaw is really like a wooden area. There's a lot of pine trees, maple trees, and all this stuff. It's a really nice area. So there is this town here, not far from Warsaw, where you have the uh, abandoned at this point um, hospital. Yes, it was the hospital for mentally ill Jews before the Second World War. And of course, during the Second World War, as you know, when the Nazis, German Nazis entered Poland, they started experimenting. First, there was the T4. T4 was basically eliminating life unworthy of living, right? Unworthy of life. So T4 action, that was the name of it. And of course, the personnel, the staff at this hospital was asked to, well, get rid of the Jews, obviously. And in protest, the personnel, the staff, they killed themselves, uh, cyanide pills. Rather than, rather than kill. Rather than do it. Yes, rather, they decided to kill themselves. To kill themselves. They didn't want to participate. They didn't want to take part in this. And after that, you had the Lebensborn there. Now, Lebensborn was an interesting organization. Uh, set up by Himmler, Heinrich Himmler in 1935. And the idea was because, you know, on one hand, the Nazis said, well, Slavs are subhuman, as they said. But on the other hand, they said, well, but there is a lot of Aryan types in Poland. So what do we do about it? Well, they must be our descendants of Germans, right, of the Germans. So what they did, they kidnapped children here from Poland to Germany to be Germanized. Of course, the ones they saw as racially desirable, as they call it. And houses like Lebensborn, the buildings that, you know, the centers, as they called them, uh, basically served two purposes. One, they evaluated the local children, if there are Aryan types or not, should they be Germanized or not. And the other type was, of course, the other purpose was, well, they took um, SS men and, of course, local women, and the obvious happened, right? So there was obviously a breeding program, right? So they took blonde women and SS men and um, because they wanted to create or expand the master race, right? So right. that was the idea. So, okay, so that went uh, throughout the war, that went on throughout the war. After the war, uh, interestingly enough, and terrifying at the same time, uh, bodies were being found around this hospital, you know, because obviously they were, you know, the, the Jews and other patients who were shot and killed and maybe, maybe even gassed, I wouldn't be surprised. And after some time, there was normal hospital. I mean, the first some time there was normal hospital there after the war. Then it burned down. Nobody knows why, but it just burned down. So we went there to record because, it, you know, it kind of 
well, not exactly burned down. There was some of it is left, like the structure is left, right? And you can still see when you enter that, uh, when you walk into that building, there are still some very strange drawings on the walls. Like you can tell this was a mental hospital, Richard. I mean, you right. can just look at the walls. Adam, and I'm so going to jump in here because we're going to take a, a quick time out. When we come back, we'll uh, continue to uh, discuss uh, this investigation on the edge of the unknown paranormal group, uh, this former uh, mental hospital uh, that... Um, predates the Second World War and, of course, all of the atrocities that took place. Uh, we'll get into that in more detail on the other side. Don't go away. Welcome back, Welcome back. to Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. And we're back with freelance journalist, technical translator, Adam Borofsky. Okay, so back to the um, this mental hospital. Uh, after the war, uh, they started to find bodies around the hospital. Uh, it was around the, the grounds, right. Uh, on, right? The grounds of the hospital, right? So not even the hospital itself, but right. around the hospital, right? It was functioning as a hospital again. Then there was a fire. Uh, yes, it, there was the a hospital. fire. There was a fire in the 90s. It, uh, I said it burned out. Not exactly. I mean, the structure itself is intact. And you can walk into the hospital and you'll still, you can still see very, very weird drawings on the walls. Really strange uh, drawings. So uh, you can tell this was a mental hospital, Richard. That's, uh, th there is no doubt about it. So we went in there with the uh, local journalists here, right, in Poland. Mainstream journalists. We went into this building. Well, why did they, why did they ask you to go in? What was happening that precipitated your being invited as a paranormal group? Yeah, because we had a program here in, um, in Poland, an online, you know, where we talked about it, right? It was pretty popular. So they were in charge of the, uh, it was, they were in charge of that program, basically. So even though the topic was paranormal, the platform was mainstream. But were, people, were people experiencing paranormal events? And that's why they asked you to come and investigate. That's right. That's right. They went in with, that's why they asked us to investigate. Yes. Well, what were they experiencing? Well, that's the interesting part because they were total skeptics at first. And then when they, when we were walking around this place, they suddenly said, uh, we don't want to go in there. And I said, wait, what, is that? what are you talking about? You're skeptics. You never said you're, you know, that that's real to you, but apparently something happened to them and they didn't want to get in uh, and walk into this building, but they did eventually. Well, what happened? We, Do we know? Yeah, so of course, uh, I, we went in there with them, me and another person from the organization. And we were just uh, recording because they were recording us. Basically, we were talking about this building, the history and, you know, all that stuff. And that's when one of the journalists, he basically jumped back and said, I see an orb, right? He said, I see an orb and some kind of apparition right there. And he was terrified. So it started with an orb and then was there was this apparition. And of course we didn't see anything, but he recorded it and he said, take a look. And yes, there was an orb and some kind of strange apparition, like a shadow person that was definitely there. And they were shaken up by this. They were shaken up because it happened live, right? We were recording this, it was this guy with a camera and he jumped back with this. Uh, it was pretty small to this camera. And he, he jumped back and said, what the hell, basically? Like, and this guy was a skeptic. He wasn't into that stuff. But there was something. So you about saw a this picture. Place. Was it a video of an orb? A, pic, a still photo? Yeah, that. No, it was a video. A video, definitely. Can you describe? You saw it. What did it look like? Well, first there was an orb just going up, like shooting up, like this, right? 
like like to the sky. And then there was this apparition, like a shadow person, more like a shadow person. Like you could see this uh, blackish silhouette in the distance. And, but it was like a silhouette watching. It wasn't like just passing by, it was like watching uh, what's going on. So when we saw that, well, that was definitely a chilling experience, Richard, when, when we saw that. And there is, and I asked them, listen, you're professionals. Can it be some kind of malfunction, some kind of glitch? They said, no way. Because this guy, he jumped back. It was live, right? It was real time. We saw this. We were right there. You didn't I mean, see the orb as when he saw no, it. No, when you looked at we the did, video. Yeah, we didn't see the. Yeah, we had to look at in the video. And, and, the video. and let's let's take some time and talk about the orb itself. I mean, how big was it? What and was it just like a big soap bubble? What did it look like? It was in the middle of the screen, right in front of this guy. And between us, right? Because uh, he was filming us. So, we, we, right? We, he was between us and him. It was in the middle of the screen and uh, it was pretty big. And it shot up, shot upwards and it disappeared. So, it was uh, out of nowhere and it shot upwards. When you say so it was this, pretty big, what are we talking? Like the size of a grapefruit, a bowling ball, a basketball? Uh, How big? Basketball would be right. my assessment. Yeah, I would say it's a basketball sized, yeah, orb. And we didn't see it. That was the weird part. So we had to look at the video to see it. Really, really strange, Richard. And then this silhouette, but this silhouette was more behind us. It wasn't like the orb. It was looking, was uh, looking at what's going on. And uh, it was like, uh, it was assessing what, what's happening, discerning on trying to find out what where our, our intentions were, right? And then it just kind of faded away, basically like, disintegrated that's what i mean uh it was like standing there and then we just kind of mm, just just gone just any like other, that right any other unusual events in the uh, in the hospital well that was the main one and this eerie feeling this this strange foreboding presence right this feeling like like the journalist said that there was something very weird about this place very very off not something that they expected to, to, to you know they they didn't expect to feel that way and of course you can say well yeah sure but you were kind of your programmed mentally right when you walked into this place well not exactly because they were definitely they were they were skeptics skeptics before so you were, before you went there though people were experiencing something because you were invited to come in and investigate what were they experiencing before exactly right because richard what needs to be understood is that there are people living in this area pretty close to that building uh, and this area is pretty secluded. So the locals were talking about strange sounds, strange lights, and um, some apparitions as well. So because you can basically, you can drive up to this uh, building very close right next to it. So, um, and the people live in the area very, very close as well. So they said, listen, we are hearing something coming like, uh, abnormal voices like demonic even in nature right very loud malicious not like not friendly but you, they could tell they were like terrible demonic voices or some kind of screams right and that's why they started talking about it and eventually it reached uh, the mainstream it reached us and uh, we said okay let's let's see what's going on so we talked to the locals and they confirmed yes unfortunately nobody had anything uh you know no recording but there was no doubt because you can tell right after a while of doing this, you can tell whether someone's lying or not. I could tell this was real. They weren't kidding. They were terrified of whatever was happening in this place. And given the history of this place, Richard, given how crazy and tragic the history of that place is, 
I'm not surprised. The energy there was, um, you know, I, at some point I thought energy, energy, energy fields, whatever, you know, I thought, nah, that's just, you know, nonsense. No, it's not. It's, I could feel it. And that was, like you could touch it, basically. Like it was very, very palpable. So this is definitely when something tragic happens, it imprints itself, right? Whether it's a crime or, or this kind of tragic event, you can sense it. And we could sense it. And not just us, but the journalists who are skeptical, they sensed it as well. So definitely, um, uh, yeah, that's basically uh, the story, right? All right. Adam, tell us about uh, your novel, your sci-fi horror thriller, Euthanizers. What's it all about? Right. Well, as I said, it's uh, inspired by my profoundly perplexing, and to say the least, experience with this cosmic gas lighter. Uh, it's about, um, well, it's about people in general who live in dystopian dimensions, and they observe, and for various means, they observe other dimensions better that are better off and they basically usurp or take over the lives, they cross over and they take over the lives of their doubles, right? So the idea is pretty well known, but I put my own spin on it. And they always make sure that there is not a drop of blood left because they don't want to, you know, make a mess and they don't want anyone to uh, detect them that way. So their ritual is usually that they then throw the body of the double through the portal back to where they had come from. Um, basically they call others who are more fortunate, dimensional one percenters, right? That's how they refer to um, people who are in a better position in a better world. And the idea is simple. They do not understand why they can have someone else's life. So their doubles life who are better off, who are more, who are more fortunate, so who are lucky. So they say, listen, we want this life and we're going to get it, right? So they have this ritual where first they scan, basically they scan infinity and they look at dimensions and they find the best dimension for them, their best double for them. They investigate, they observe this double. Of course, the double has no idea because they do it from their dimension. Uh, they learn everything they can about this double, mannerism, passwords, whatever, you know, whatever is uh, needed to uh, poses this other uh, as their counterpart. And of course, number three is they cross over and they get rid of the double. Uh, so that's the idea here. And of course, it's, um, it's connected with the Demiurge or the cosmic gaslighter because my main character um, is approached by the Demiurge who wants him to write this book, Euthanizers, because the Demiurge uh, wants the energy from that book, because when people read that book, the energy will transfer to the Demiurge. So the Demiurge uh, inspires, so to speak, um, the main character to write this book. And the Demiurge, of course, does it in unexpected ways, as you can imagine. And, um, and of course, this connects to the soul traps, right? Because uh, the Demiurge promises the main character that, listen, if you do this, you are not going to be sent into a soul trap or I'm not gonna try to trick you because the Demiurge can't just do it. God will not allow it. The Demiurge needs to trick people, right? To get into the soul trap, to go into this, the, the light. So the Demiurge says, listen, if you write this book, if you, I'll help you get, I'll help you get it published, right? Even as your double, because there is double who is a billionaire. So you will become this person, you'll publish it. And as a reward, you will not go into the light or I will not try to trick you to go into the light. And the main character knows 
at some point realizes that there is no way that the demiurge is not going to win this. So the main character says, okay, this is a Faustian bargain, like a deal with the devil, but I'll do it. And so, so that's the idea in a nutshell, right? I'm still working on the synopsis. I know it's um, maybe chaotic in places, but I'm very, very happy with the direction. And I think it's going to be a great book, about 90,000 words overall. And um, there are still, of course, finishing touches, right? The synopsis, for example, which is a really tough part, actually, to write, you know, the proper synopsis. But I'm confident that this is going to be a great book and mostly uh, and because of total strangers, I have this unfortunate, I have uh, test readers who are total strangers who do not sugarcoat. And they said, this is a unique idea, the way you put it together. And um, we really think it can do great. So I'm counting right. on it and I'm Hopefully working on we'll it. we'll see it soon on, uh, on Amazon and in good books everywhere. Euthanizers, Adam Borofsky, technical translator, freelance journalist. If people want to contact you, how do they do that? Uh, they can you via email, by email, for example, Facebook or LinkedIn. Uh, maybe email is going to be the best way here because in my experience, so when people write emails, they usually mean business. So maybe okay, I so what's just... the email address? Adam.Borovsky, right? Maybe I can spell it out. Maybe it's going to be easier by uh, my last name. What do you think, Richard? Maybe it's better to uh, B O R O W S K I one nine eight five at gmail.com. So if anyone knows, um, you know, publishing contacts or has useful advice in terms of publishing, uh, I welcome your contact. I welcome your messages. I read them all. And um, thanks to you, Richard, actually, I've received, I got a few interesting messages uh, from my previous appearances on your show. So thanks for that. Uh, it's definitely helping. Uh, so yeah, I welcome anyone to uh, reach out to me and um, I reply to all messages, to all emails. Adam.Borofsky1985 at gmail.com. Adam.Borofsky, B-O-R-O-W-S-K-I. Adam.Borofsky1985 at gmail.com. Adam, always a great pleasure. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Thank you, Richard. All the best to you and uh, happy holidays to you and your family as well. A new Richard Serrett's Strange Planet drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. 